This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Tom Graney, the CFO at Ironwood Pharmaceuticals, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 269. How as a finance leader are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Alan Hockey, CFO of ServiceMaster. But in essence, it was a gamble because the business had never been grown at the rate we were attempting to grow ever. It might not have worked, but the whole point was to inject those marketing dollars, gain these customers on which we make a modest first year loss, because they then renew much, much better into the second year. And that proved to be the case. And so I felt as though, for me, that was the absolute culmination of uh, some of the manufacturing disciplines I'd learned, the concept of net present value, rate of return, return on capital, and cost to acquire customers, all encapsulated in one quite beautiful business model. And that's been a significant reason that ServiceMaster Zebra does all increased by almost 50% since 2013. Listen to our complete interview with Alan after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to Alan Hockey, CFO of ServiceMaster, a publicly traded company known perhaps best for such well-known brands as Terminex and American Home Shield. Alan, welcome. Hello there. Good to have you with us. I know you arrived at uh, ServiceMaster in uh, 2013, but maybe you can take us back a little bit and uh, share what were those career milestones that you feel prepared you for a CFO role? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually started out as a, as a chartered accountant in the UK, uh, originally with Ernst & Young. Four to five years in that environment actually introduces one to a variety of, of businesses and environments. And I think that, that was particularly useful. Um, the next job I had was actually with a group called the Finance Task Force at a company called T&N. And I was basically thrown onto the shop floor in manufacturing operations with a bunch of uh, very bright and very educated engineers. And so I actually had probably a year of fairly intensive shop floor experience. Of course, I didn't make anything, um, but I stood around watching other people try to make things. But I got a very good sense of the problems that, um, let's say, a real manufacturing business faces on its shop floor, finance scheduling, theory of constraints, how to manage a workforce and uh, meet deadlines uh, in, a, in a real production environment. Uh, and that was a time when I knew, I forgot entirely about the monthly close, for example. I was living sort of the real world on the shop floor. And that was a great education um, for, for a period of time. 
uh, very useful, I thought. So, so a couple of really significant milestones there, I think, helped shape um, shape what, what I ended up becoming a CFO. And when did you arrive here in the States? Was that with uh, Service Master or was that before? No, it was, uh, it was way before. Uh, I've been in the U.S. now about 16 years. I've been with Service Master for the last three. And prior to that, I was with a company called Federal Mogul. And it was when I was uh, at Federal Mogul that I was brought over in the year 2000 to, to essentially be head of FP&A in, uh, in Detroit in the automotive industry. And so when you arrive at Service Master, given you know, the experiences you shared with us, what, what's the type of role you're, you were looking to create for yourself here? Um, well, I actually, Service Master at that time was um, owned by a private equity company, CDNR. And so part of the role was to come in and help reorganize this business as well as prepare it for the IPO, which ended up occurring in June 2014. Um, and so it was obvious at the outset that, that what the company would benefit most from was a, was a sort of what you might call manufacturing discipline. Um, I would never say that all businesses will benefit from such a thing, and you can never take sort of manufacturing and manufacturing operations disciplines and transpose them perfectly over what is a service business, but um, the business benefited uh, from the introduction of some of those philosophies. And those are philosophies that the, the CEO, Rob Gillette, also brought in. He, he, he hired me. He'd been here at Service Master about three months prior to me and brought me in. And we had sort of similar backgrounds. I'm, I'm curious, Alan, what, uh, because it does seem like a different industry altogether. Could, could you better clarify some of the commonalities and what made you an attractive uh, hire? Well, sure. I mean, one of the things you learn in a manufacturing business is kind of how to eke out a living between a set of dominant customers uh, and a set of dominant suppliers with very heavy focus on cash and working capital management. Now, ServiceMaster is a business that is actually very, very cash productive, um, but almost had more cash than it knew what to do with or more cash generative ability than it knew what to do with. So bringing in some of the disciplines around that, that, that I developed by virtue of being in a more thrifty environment meant that there are a number of mech, there were a number of mechanisms that I could find to unlock trapped cash in service master, which we then used to pay down debt because we were very, very highly levered. So the sort of rigorous disciplines from a perspective of cash management and working capital management, the, the other aspect that I think is perfectly transferable from a manufacturing operation, and I think uh, did make me an attractive hire for Rob Gillette was the concept of being an operator. When you are a CFO or a controller or something in, in a manufacturing business, you're very much also an operator of the business. And that's what Service Master at that time needed, people who could come in and operate it. And we basically used the same concepts that a manufacturing operations uses. You identify the fixed for period costs, you identify the variable margins, and you try to exert operating leverage over those fixed costs as effectively as you possibly can. And for Service Master, that basically means using things like pricing uh, and um, being in a position of power with our suppliers. Uh, contrary to the situation I was in at my former company, uh, where, which is an automotive supplier, Service Master has significant leverage over its suppliers, uh, and therefore uh, recognizing that we could exert that power um, to, uh, to help expand our margins was also part of the, uh, the brief, if you like, when I came in here. 
So when you do arrive uh, and you, you take a look at the team and the competencies, given what you just shared with us, were there areas of the finance function that you wanted to modify or change or make new hires? Yes. I mean, the, the, I did a fair amount of reorganization. But to my mind, the most important thing about building a finance team isn't, isn't so much um, the building a collection of high-performing individuals, uh, more it's a case of building a team of people that may be at varying levels of competence, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, but that gel together effectively as a team. When I came here, I felt that I had um, a, a dysfunctional finance team that just had a little bit of the gotcha culture about them. Aha, gotcha. Got the operations. They messed up over here. Um, and my one of my principal goals was to build a, a finance team that that was arm in arm with the operations and sharing in the in a sense of success. And that requires required changing out some people, um, uh, describing that that goal and that culture. And as is often the case, I probably made my last staff move, let's say, 12 months later than I should have done. And I think this is probably something that everybody says. Um, waited too long because I was reluctant to make a move on a certain person. And when I did, the team really gelled. And I knew I'd sort of succeeded once overnight with that one last staff change. And I had a team of people that, that had each other's backs that worked collaboratively, both amongst themselves and with the, the businesses. And that, that's the most important thing, working in collaboration with the business. Can, can you tell us something about the business today in terms of its products and services? And again, I mentioned up front uh, two of the brands we know well, but this is a very complex business. Tell us something more about it. Sure. I mean, overall, we have about $2.7, $2.8 billion of revenue. We, ha- we have EBITDA margins in the region of 24%, which are phenomenal. Great cash flow characteristics because we've got almost uh, no working capital. Um, but the, and the business is divided uh, into really three segments. Terminex, which is pest control, that's around about 57% of our revenue. Maybe another 35% is American Home Shield, which is a provision of a home warranty, and then the balance of the revenue is franchise services, the way we just essentially collect royalty fees by virtue of franchising businesses like Mary Maid's Cleaning and Service Master Restore. But fundamentally, they all have the same basic characteristic, that what we're doing is across the company and across the brands, uh, we have over 5 million customers. We're in 75,000 homes a day. Uh, we either send our own technicians, in the case of Terminex, into people's homes to solve pest-related problems. And believe me, every home in America has a pest problem of some kind, just a case of identifying it and selling the solution for it. In American Home Shield, um, we probably deal with close to um, um, probably almost 4 million claims a year in terms of having a technician we're all independent, by the way, not employees of service master technician visit a customer's home to diagnose and solve any kind of uh, home appliance or system failure. Um, so fu- fundamentally, what we're doing is more so than any other business I can think of, we have visibility to the kinds of problems that homeowners face when keeping their homes and lives working, for which a technician, a skilled technician, has to go into a home, diagnose and solve a problem. I'm not sure there's a business that any other business in the U.S. that does actually that many what I'll call service work orders uh, in a year or a day, for that matter. It's, it's a very profitable business, largely because um, the services are viewed 
as sufficiently essential by most people. Um, our customer base is fragmented because it's individuals. So we have significant pricing power and significant high retention. Our average retention rate across the company is about 80%. So it's a high monthly recurring revenue model. Um, and therefore, good customer service is actually paramount to, to maintaining those high retention rates. And that's essentially where the money is made. When it comes to uh, how the company's performing, what are the metrics that you're, you're watching? Well, I like one of your questions, which is, what, what do I look at you know, before my first cup of coffee? And, and, and it, it works like this. My alarm goes off. I roll over, naturally like most people, pick up my iPhone and spend a few minutes trying to focus on it and actually see it. The first thing I get in the morning is the daily sales report. Like I said, this is a recurring monthly revenue model. 80% of our customers renew. But if that means if we want to grow, for example, by 5% a year, then we've got to regenerate 25% of our business in a, in a given year. And so the rate at which we're doing that is reported daily uh, based on the previous day's sales. So we need to keep feeding ourselves at a non-diminishing and hopefully growing rate every single day of the year. And I, that, that's what I look at, because that tells me lots of things. Um, if our renewal rate starts to dip, it means our service may be dipping. Uh, if we're not gaining enough customers, it means our marketing spend or our web presence may not be high enough on any given day. So the, that's like the, um, the, the, the classic health check of the business, is the rate at which we both renew existing customers to become second or third or fourth year customers, as well as bring in new customers. That's what I look at first thing every day. So it looks like customer renewals and sales uh, are being watched very closely. But is there another measure of customer success uh, that you're currently using? Um, not really. The, the most significant um, financial metrics that I use is the customer lifetime value. It's not particularly original, but it's taking a customer stream and mapping out the, uh, the net present value of each single customer by type. And that allows us to direct our marketing efforts to the customers at the highest um, um, lifetime value. And that's not necessarily the one with the highest first-year profit, which is why it's important to apply what is fundamentally a traditional investment discipline, exactly the same thing I learned in a manufacturing operation when building a plant uh, or investing capital. Our capital in this business is the marketing and selling dollars. And the... Many of our businesses actually have the phenomenon where they have to, have to spend marketing and selling dollars in advance of getting the customer, but there is a customer type on which we make a modest loss in the first year that has the highest lifetime value. And therein lies the classic uh, need for financial discipline to make sure that we don't put our short-term goals of maximizing first-year profits ahead of our long-term goal of having the most profitable customer be the one that renews and stays with us. So lifetime value per customer per business segment. And that means I'll look at a termite customer, a customer who has termites, and a customer that has pest control, a home warranty customer that bought our services online compared to a home warranty customer that bought a home warranty by virtue of a real estate transaction, a Merriamates customer, uh, and so on. So we look across those disciplines to ration marketing and selling dollars because they are not infinite, just like capital is not infinite. Okay. 
We always like to ask for a finance strategic moment, and that's a moment of, uh, of course, strategic insight that you may have had during the course of your career. It may have been at Services Master, it may not have been. Um, would you have one for us? Again, this is where, uh, as a finance leader, you are able to see something within the organization to point it in a new direction, or maybe it was a new opportunity, whatever it may have been. At the risk of being repetitive, I think for me, the the greatest, uh, the most enjoyable set of learning experiences I've had, and maybe that's simply because it's building on prior experiences, have been here at Service Master, because this is a business rich with opportunity. And so when a business is rich with opportunity, it's hard to know which levers to pull. And that actually makes it very enjoyable. But I, I, I early on, I, I glossed over an example, which is exactly... Which rev- this is, I'm messing this one up. I, earlier on, I glossed over an example which actually demonstrates the, the power of, of looking at the lifetime value of a customer. I came here in September of 2013, and one of my colleagues kept continually saying that we could, we could grow the business at any, this is American Home Shield, grow the business at any rate we wanted, uh, it's the EBITDA, the earnings, that wouldn't necessarily grow. And after about a couple of meetings, I, I, I grew a little irritated with this. Why do you keep saying this? What do you mean? And, and this, his point was that because of a drive towards uh, short-term EBITDA, we had not been investing enough in marketing to gain the customers on whom we make a modest first-year loss. And therefore, we were not growing the business ultimately as, as rapidly as we should. And, and, and in a sense, for me, the, 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 the beauty of the operation then was, was putting in place the discipline to have the team, the marketing team and the operations team model out what the expected results would be from spending the extra marketing dollars. Um, now, to fund those extra marketing dollars, because we all live, we have to live in the real world, we, there was a, a element of corporate restructuring that we did um, and took out some layers of corporate overhead, which produced dollar savings, uh, real, real profit savings that I could reinvest in marketing. But in essence, it was a gamble because the business had never been grown at the rate we were attempting to grow ever. The home warranty business is relatively young, started in 1971. It's a non-tech business. For a non-tech business, it's not that old. And no one had ever attempted to grow it as fast as we then attempted to grow it by injecting marketing dollars. It might not have worked. But the whole point was to inject those marketing dollars, gain these customers on which we make a modest first-year loss, because they then renew much, much better into the second year. And that proved to be the case. And so I felt as though, for me, that was the absolute culmination of uh, some of the manufacturing disciplines I'd learned, the concept of net present value, rate of return, return on capital, um, cost to acquire customers, all encapsulated in one quite beautiful business model, which then worked as we injected the marketing dollars in. And that's been a significant reason that Service Master Zebra does all increased by almost 50% since 2013. That, for me, was a major culmination of, um, of, of almost everything I've learned. Uh, in business, because it also required a little bit of a gamble, an act of faith, belief, and cooperation across business and finance. When it comes to the workforce, uh, are there certain priorities that you as a finance leader have today? Well, if I think about 
Actually, yes, but I'm, I don't know whether I'm giving the sort of answer you expect to this question. Uh, Service Master employs, uh, particularly in Terminates, a vast workforce of, of technicians, uh, press technicians that go out and service people in their homes. And one of the realities we have to face is that the pest technician marches to the beat of the pay plan. However, whatever drumbeat that pay plan um, puts in place is the way they're going to behave. So it's a classic example of not quite you get what you measure, but you will get you will get the behavior that you're paying people to demonstrate. And that's that's very significant to us. And we have to pay very close attention to the way in which we reward people to demonstrate the kind of high service uh, behaviors that we want them to when they're out in the field. Um, having said that, one of the obviously the key metrics we look at in a service-based business is employee retention and employee turnover. Uh, so we, we do try to make sure that we take into account the, the needs of, of our workforce so that we maintain high employee retention. And this is not only because of the cost of acquisition. That's not what I care about. There is a clear correlation between customer retention and employee retention in our business. So the higher our employee retention is, the, the more likely a customer is to be, to be greeted by a technician who enjoys their work, knows what they're doing, and fills the customer with a sense of the job well done, and that customer then renews. So if we put employee retention high on our set of priorities, we significantly improve our chances of retaining our customers, which is what it's all about. Can I ask, just as a point of clarification and uh, for brands like Terminex, um, is that a, a portion of that uh, franchise today and company-owned? or it's, I would say it's almost entirely company-owned. There are a couple of pieces that are franchised, um, and that, that, but that's more of a legacy. I wouldn't choose to have them franchised if I could, if I could get them into the, uh, the service master, fully into the service master portfolio, but the vast majority of it. So when we report our revenue, 99% of that revenue is company-owned branches with company uh, employees doing all of the work. So okay, that's why you think of it as a company-owned business. Okay, we now come to the mentoring round, where I ask you several quick questions intended to help inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, actually, again, I think it's going to be an odd one. The, you know, it, what excites me about business in general, figuratively, right, is that it's kind of like the, it's an unexplored frontier um, that, that actually mixes a couple of very imprecise science, economics and, and human behavior, and kind of throw them out into the world and see how well they get along. I find that immensely exciting. It's sort of an unexplored frontier, and I see finance as the navigators uh, of that particular journey. But, if, but to be more specific, <laughs> um, I think what, what interests me is the advent of digital devices and social media. We have to bear in mind in business today that... Uh, every customer has the potential to scream the loudest. And so I think the principles of, of good customer service in a, almost any business, in any avenue of our lives are becoming increasingly important. And our, any company's ability to underserve its customers, cheapen its service offering and think it can get away with it uh, in a sustained way, I think those days are long gone. Um, and we here in ServiceMaster do our best to pay very close attention to our social media presence and um, issues of customer complaints or dissatisfied customers. We take them very, very seriously, and we have to take everyone equally seriously because of the voice that customers have nowadays. And that, 
that impacts everything we do here at ServiceMaster. Okay, going back to when you first uh, stepped into a CFO role, what is it that you wish someone may have told you before entering that office? Actually, you know, I don't expect any sympathy for this this following statement, um, but it's lonely, uh, and it actually is. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, something like this that you're doing here is, is a great it's a great forum because what CFOs generally don't get is other CFOs to talk to or to listen to or to communicate with. Um, it is it is a bit of a lonely job, um, and I and I think I think mean, n- nobody pointed that out. Again, I don't expect any sympathy. I'm well paid, <laughs> have a good life, but uh, you're pointing that out because I, I think I might have paid more attention earlier to m- ensuring that I had a network of CFOs to touch base with, to share problems with. Um, Hence, a form like this is is a very valuable one. Okay. Is there a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Um, So, again, I I have a tendency to over-prepare. It feels like over-preparation when I'm doing it. So, I religiously prepare for for most things that I do. Uh, And I I do that because I want to free up my mind to think. So, anything that, that is that is more routine or giving a presentation or taking the board through materials. I know the materials inside out. So then I can look at people. I can watch their body language, their physical reaction to the things that I'm saying. So I'm not looking at my notes or down at the pages. I try to make sure I know my material so technically I could discuss it with my eyes closed. But that's so that I can watch the reactions of the people that I'm talking to to see if my message is, is getting across. Yeah, your explanation I found very interesting. We have people say over preparation, but uh, the the notion that you are able to pay closer attention to your audience is something um, we haven't heard too often before. I think that's really interesting. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? The book, yeah, and you've probably had this one before. It's the Goal by Eli, Eli Goldratt, um, which is uh, you know I think a, a lesson in in common sense manufacturing. Um, I think it's an, an exceptional book, and I read it when I was working on the shop floor in Scotland during that year that I mentioned earlier when I was working with a team of engineers, and I thought he was talking about the plant that I was working in, and I think anyone who reads that book will uh, will have the same experience. Um, so he basically, it's a novel, it's actually a novel about a guy, a plant manager, trying to stop his plan being closed because he's not producing enough profit and output and how he goes about trying to solve that problem while trying to hold his marriage together. <laughs> it's quite a good read. <laughs> and I recommend it. But as a business book, everyone I recommend it to finds something in it, even if they're not in finance or manufacturing. You know, um, I recommended it to our head of purchasing, and she loved it. Again, it's a services company you're part of, and you're recommending a book uh, that is really has to do with manufacturing. Again, uh, the operational uh, aspects uh, that you bring to the job. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, again, the disciplines are not they're not that different, um, and I think um, it's just the, the 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 harshness of the manufacturing environment and the toughness of it brings about a sense of operational and mental discipline, and that naturally lends itself extremely well to the service environment, but also the service environment is a little more chaotic and there's a bit more human psychology involved. And that, and I think having some grounding in those manufacturing disciplines, again, leaves one free to devote one's time and attention to the, the more softer human side of the uh, interactions that necessitate running a service business well. 
Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Our final question, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, for me, I might as well give you my personal one. We've, we've recently refinanced ServiceMaster, so we got nice to get nice, good, cheap debt prior to uh, any, any changes that may occur. Um, so the company's in an extremely healthy state. Uh, my personal goal is uh, to, to make sure that I continue to stretch uh, my, my team. Um, you know, I believe that finance teams should, I want them to benefit from the same kind of job variety that I had. And so I always task myself with trying to move the team around, have them experience each other's roles almost. And that, that's not easy because nobody likes what they sense as a sideways move. So I do want to make sure that all of my team have sufficient breadth of experience of each other's roles, and it, it makes them more tolerant. Um, getting a couple of my finance guys into the operations as well is something that, that, that does happen here at ServiceMaster, and that, again, I would like to see happen because it helps um, generate and fertilize um, ideas. Hey, Alan Hockey, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thanks very much. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you.